Your finances will leave a long-lasting impact on your family. After all, you only retire once. If you're looking to discuss all things pertaining to your retirement, you've come to the right place. This is Retirement Matters with Michael Stewart. Hey, welcome into another edition of Retirement Matters. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast with Michael Stewart. Mike, how are you, buddy? How's things going? I'm doing great. How about yourself, Mark? I'm hanging in there, not doing too bad. Uh, finally getting some fall action. How about you? Is it uh, leaves are starting to maybe change? Yep, weather's starting to kind of take a turn, and it's a beautiful thing. It's football season, and the leaves are changing as well. Well, I don't know if it's a beautiful thing with football season, depending on who your team is. <laughs> this is true. This is true. <laughs> it's been a little rocky start for uh, for some folks out there, that's for sure. Uh, listen, we got a good show lined up, as always. I've got some fun topics I want to talk with you about here on the program, so we always appreciate everybody's time as we talk about investing, finance, and retirement with you. And, of course, you are the founder there at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. So let's dive into it this week. I wanted to talk about some variables that can really shape the retirement plan if these variables were the same for everybody, it'd be obviously very easy for you to do what you do. But the fact is, is we're all different. We're all quirky. We're all unique. And I imagine it's like literally like doing a puzzle sometimes. And that's probably part of the fun for you is that it's not, everything's not the same, right? You get the ability to really kind of play with each situation and have to work through each problem. So on today's show, we'll explain why answers to some of retirement's critical questions vary from person to person. So income, let's just start there. How much income we'll need? That's usually the big question for everybody. And what's right for you, Mike, might not be right for me. No, absolutely. One of the biggest questions when individuals and prospective clients come in is, you know, they think they're going to come in and have a conversation about stocks, bonds, mutual funds, you know, with their 401k, what have you. But in reality, we wind up having a conversation really about what our practice focuses on, which is the income side of the business. How do you generate income in retirement? You know, and it's funny because I'll sit with individuals, let's say it's a married couple, they're making like 120000 a year, you know, get pretty solid incomes, and then they're knocking on the door of retirement. And I'll say, hey, have you thought about, you know, how much income you need in retirement? And everybody's all with across the board, but, you know, I'll give you the example of the $120,000 couple. They came through and they said, yeah, you know, I, we took a look at it, probably like 5000 a month, you know, which would be about sixty a year, still decent retirement income. And I said, okay, really? And I started kind of going over some of their financials as far as, you know, what they're saving and the accounts that they have. And I said, all right, so you think in retirement, you can live on the $60,000 or $5,000 a month, but you make 120. So are you banking $60,000 a year? You know, because if, right. if you could live on it, you would. And then they kind of looked at each other and like, oh no, I mean, we're like paycheck to paycheck. Like, well, then what makes you think you can live on half of that income? So sometimes it's a reality check for individuals. And then that's why, you know, we come up with our retirement success blueprint. And that's our kind of our retirement income plan. And what that is, is it basically says, okay, based on, you know, not a budget necessarily, but based on where your current income is now, some of the debts that aren't going to go away, like if you're going to carry a mortgage or something like that into retirement, then how much income do we know we need? Plus, how much income do we want at the end of the day? Because if we think about it, that's part of it as well. Is you know, we didn't retire just to basically pay, you know, the basic bills, the property taxes, and the groceries. There are things in retirement we might want to do. So a lot of times we'll tell individuals when we say how much income are you gonna need? Realistically, in the first year or two of retirement, you're gonna need eighty to hundred percent of the same income you had before, because now you've got more free time on your hands, there's things that you wanna do. You know, so that becomes kind of a reality check for a lot of individuals that, you know, as, as being one of those big variables for the retirement plan. 
Yeah, and everybody's income needs do vary. And a lot of times we do kind of get into that weird situation where we say, well, it's taken us $5,000 a month now you know, to live on or whatever. And so we'll be good to go. And it's like, well, you got to factor in the fact that things are going to continue to go up in price as you move through retirement, especially if you're first heading into retirement. And, you know, God willing and good fortune and good health, you might live 30 years. And if you don't think that price is going to go up from 5000 a month, you certainly are mistaken there. So you want to make sure you're looking at your income needs, but not only for today, but also into the future. Another variable is what we're going to pay in taxes and, you know, political Thoughts and feelings aside, more than likely taxes have got to go up. And through the next 30 years, you kind of expect that to happen. No, you do. And, you know, the way we do it with clients is, you know, we begin with the premise of two things. So one saying, okay, we're near historic low as far as personal income taxes right now. Right. You know, so, you know, take that into consideration of there's really only one way they're probably going to go. And the second part of that is taking a look at how much income you're going to need in retirement. So building off that last thing that we just talked about is about how much income that you need. So if you need 75, 80, 100% of the same income, why would you think your taxes necessarily, at least on the federal level, are going to go down in retirement? You know, a lot of people think that and, and have made some plans and some false assumptions, you know, some bad advice over the years that I'm going to be in a much lower tax bracket when I'm in retirement. But the reality for most is they're not. They're usually in about the same or, you know, maybe they drop down a few percentage points because the retirement income, if they've saved enough and we've got enough good income sources, you know, and good social security, then what happens is all of a sudden they're paying the same amount of taxes or close to it as before. And we also talk about, you know, things like, so in Illinois, property taxes are pretty outrageous, you know, and that's kind of, you know, one of the biggest retirement drawbacks because if you're on a fixed income, your taxes keep going up on the property, you know, that's where's that income going to come from. Right. But, you know, property taxes aren't going down just because you're retired. So, you know, what we do is we, we kind of reverse engineer it for clients. We say, okay, we need X amount of income. Now let's take a look at where our different sources of income are, whether it's social security, pension, are we going to have to draw on our retirement accounts? Are we going to use savings a little bit? Are we using pre-tax accounts or are we using our tax-free accounts? And if we have enough time before retirement, there's some proactive things that we can do to make sure that when we begin to take income out at retirement, then maybe it's coming from a tax-free bucket instead of a taxable bucket. Now, if we're knocking on the door and right at retirement, we don't have that same flexibility. We still want to make sure that we're taking taxes into consideration. Yeah. You know, and with you guys being that one-stop shop there at Crystal Lake, Mike, you guys can really go through a lot of these pieces. You know, with the CPA, you've got an enrolled agent, paralegal, all on staff. You know, so that's one of the reasons we call it Retirement Matters, because you have all these things and you can kind of deal with these different little matters that pop up. And so when we're, we're, you know, looking at these variables that can shape each person's retirement, clearly income and taxes play a huge, huge role in those early stages of the planning process, I would assume. But we also need to focus on the longevity aspect. And depending on who you are, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, I'm definitely one of those naysayers for myself that I don't think I'll live particularly long versus, you know, maybe my wife, for example, but I'm not planning necessarily to, you know, take off early, if you will. (laughs) I'm planning to at least have money in the long run. But if I do depart early, then, you know, I've made the right call. If I'm around longer, I've still made the right call. No, absolutely. You know, and I I mean, I I think a a few podcasts ago, I even mentioned one of my clients. uh, So, you know, we were talking about Social Security, she decided to take her Social Security at 62, even though financially I kind of counseled her against it. And her rationale was, you know, nobody in my family's lived past 67 for two generations. 
So, you know, I'm going to get mine while I can. Right. And I said, you know, that's great, but I'd hate to get to like 67 in a day and you're still with <laughs> us, you know, and then all of a sudden the plan doesn't work anymore. Right, so, right. you know, longevity is honestly the biggest thing. And, you know, so most people think about, you know, just market stock market risk or, you know, what's Trump going to tweet or what's inflation and things. But if you think about it, longevity, that's what we're talking about. How long people expect to live, you know, whether they're optimistic or pessimistic. The reality on that is it's the biggest multiplier of risks because the longer that you live, you know, whether it's five years or another 30 years in retirement, the greater the chance that there's going to be some sort of significant market correction, if not multiple, the greater the chance that you're going to have high tax rates at certain point, the greater the chance that inflation is going to erode things away as far as your cost of living and the greater the chance that there's going to be some kind of healthcare event for either you or those that you care about that are going to require funds. You know, so longevity definitely needs to be taken into consideration because it multiplies all those other risks that are out there. Well, you mentioned Social Security, Mike, so let's talk about that one a little bit more. Life expectancy, actual retirement age, you know, other income streams, all those things factor into someone when they want to turn it on. Kind of to your point, some people are like, no, man, I'm 62. I'm taking it now, you know, and others, you know, want to know when the best time is. Yeah, and that's big. A lot of people say, well, hey, you know, they'll come to one of our Social Security workshops or they'll come in and visit us and say, you know, when should I start taking Social Security? And, you know, a lot of people say, okay, well, if you want the least amount, you take it at 62. If you want the most, you take it at 70. You know, but life's not that simple. So what we do is we say, well, it depends. So let's talk about what's going on in your financial life. So as an example, okay, if you're going to take it early, be it an early retirement, because a lot of times people confuse when they take Social Security with when they retire. And that doesn't have to be the case. We have clients that retire in their 50s and early 60s and don't touch Social Security until 66, 67. We have some clients that are working until 68 and 70, yet they turn on their Social Security at 65, 66. You know, so everybody's situation is going to be a little bit unique. The questions from a financial planning side that we go through is, okay, well, tell me about what other sources of income you're going to have in retirement. Are you going to continue to work in retirement? Are you going to draw off your retirement plans? Do you have a pension? Because all of that is going to you know, come into expect with the expectations. Another right. part of it is how much have you saved? You know, so if we're going to start tapping into some of these other retirement plans and things to supplement Social Security or maybe even wait to delay taking Social Security, is that money going to last you, as you said, for the next 30 years of a retirement and provide a rising income? over time. And the last consideration about that, which people really don't think about until they're kind of sitting at our coffee table here, is when you should start taking Social Security. Okay, so if that means if you're thinking about taking it a little bit early, let's say before 65, how are we going to bridge healthcare expenses as well? One yeah, of the largest expenses yeah. that retirees have is how they pay for healthcare. Now, once you get to 65, whether you're taking Social Security or not, you can qualify for Medicare and you know you pay for your supplement and a lot of times that's a lot cheaper in general than if you were to go out and you know have private insurance or workplace insurance or so. But the thing is, if you've ceased to work or, you're, or you are gonna work but not have a position that provides health insurance, how are you bridging that gap? So you might be able to take Social Security at 62 if, you, if it makes sense for you, but you still got another three years of health insurance and you know before you qualify for Medicare. Yeah, that's a great point because a lot of people do kind of gloss over that one, especially if they've done well for planning, if they've done a good job with these variables and maybe they want to retire early. Sometimes people really come, you know, especially lately over the last couple of years, we've seen a big trend moving towards people saying, yeah, I want to retire at 60, you know, or, <laughs> or 59. It's like, okay, well, what is your plan for the medical coverage uh, up to 65? Because that can, you know, if you're talking Cobra, uh, that could get kind of out of control there. <laughs> 
there on a cost standpoint. So one more uh, section here on the variables, and then we'll take a shift to our email questions that we like to do here on the podcast. But um, finally, just risk. You know, how much should we keep at risk when we retire? Always a big debate. A lot of people, I imagine, come in and say, we want no risk at all. And others are like, you know, hopefully you know, smart enough to realize that you got to have something out in the market, right? Because you've got to be able to at least outpace inflation or at least keep up with inflation. Yeah. So when we begin to have that conversation about how much risk you should be taking, now, you know, many times clients come in and they're taking way more risk than right. either they should or even that they need to if they've done a good job of savings. So I'll go up on the whiteboard and I'll, and I'll be like, okay, let's talk about the perfect investment for a second. And I'll write safety and say, okay, you know, we want it to be 100% safe. We want no risk. Would that be the perfect investment? They'll nod their head yes. And I say, okay, <laughs> we want it liquid. If I need my money tomorrow or yesterday, I want to get it. Okay. Great. You know, so it's safe, it's liquid and growth. We want this thing to grow to the sky, right? So we want it safe. We want to get it whenever we want. And we want it to basically, you know, triple in value in a year. And they all just chuckle because they begin to realize that, yeah, that would be in a perfect world. But the reality is that's not the world. We <laughs> that's live a in. unicorn, Every, right? <laughs> everything, yeah, everything has trade offs at some point. So we can get safety and liquidity. We can get safety and growth. We can get growth and liquidity, but we can't get all three on the same dollar at the same time. So what we have to do is start kind of bucketing these dollars out based on are they for income? Are they for long-term growth, which is going to give us rising income over time? Is it for emergency expenses? And that, according to our plan, will now dictate what the type of investments and how much risk we do or do not take comes in there. You know, and I, and I try to give up something for clients and say, okay, you know, you always hear about risk tolerance. And for those that, you know, have either, you know, gone online in their 401k and did this little 10 question quiz or had worked with a broker and said, you know, check these boxes, A through E, and I'll tell you how much risk we should take. You know, that really is what they call risk tolerance. And yeah, it kind of gives you a framework, but it's one of those Mike Tyson things that, you know, everybody's got a plan to get punched in the face. <laughs> so that doesn't really help you at the end of the day. What we talk about is something that we coin risk capacity. So you may be comfortable taking more risk, or you might not want to take any at all, but how much risk do you have the capacity to take, meaning that it won't derail your financial plan? So let's take as much risk as we need to accomplish the things per our financial plan. You know, So if we only need a 5 or 6% rate of return, we don't need to have 70 80% of our money in the market. Why take that risk if all we need is a, is a reasonable rate of return over time? then let's take the amount of risk to conceivably get that and reasonably get that without having the thing be able to blow up on you. you know, so we try to, we're more about risk capacity. How much risk should we take to achieve the things we're trying to rather than just taking risk for the sake of risk? Well, hopefully, folks, that you've enjoyed this uh, section here on the variables that can shape your retirement. A lot of good information in the podcast. And, of course, a fantastic thing about podcasts, you can always pause it. You can always rewind it and play it again to go through some of these different things, especially if you find a useful nugget of information. If you do, as always, make sure you reach out and call Michael before you take any action or let him know you'd like to come in for a consultation and a review or a conversation about what you heard. 815-526-3092 is how you make that that happened 815-526-3092 of course michael's the founder at crystal lake tax and financial serving you in crystal lake area in illinois also check him out online at crystallaketax.com that's crystallaketax.com and you can submit questions to the podcast there as well as subscribe to it on whatever platform of choice you like to use and speaking of those questions that come in that's what we're going to do right now it's time for the mailbag so charlie in chicago's got a question for you mike he says, it seems counterintuitive to move out of a house that I pay 
paid off 10 years ago, but I am retiring next month and considering renting a townhome instead so I don't have to worry about things like maintenance and repairs and whatnot. You think that's a dumb move? Yeah, Charlie, it's probably a little bit deeper than just giving you a kind of a blanket answer, but uh, I'll kind of corral that question with some others. So I'll give you an example of a client that we had. We had a client that's you know, recently moved to South Carolina and it wasn't retiring until this year, but a year ago, he and his wife sold their home. And the reason that they sold their home was that they didn't want whatever was going on at the time of their retirement in you know, the real estate market, be it boom, bust, what have you, you know, or just even a flat market, or you know, how long is it going to take to sell our home? They sold their home specifically because they just didn't want that kind of as an albatross kind of, you know, tying them up. So when he retired, they wanted to be able to just kind of go and do what they needed to do. You know, so for some people on the real estate side, whether it's paid off or not, it's about if you know you're thinking about going to the next step, then you know that's a decision that you make just to be out from under that. So you're not waiting three months, six months, nine months, hopefully to sell a home. Now on your side about is, you know, should you rent a town home versus, you know, live in a paid off home? That goes back to something earlier we talked about in the podcast, which is going to be how much income do you need? Are you getting any tax benefits from that? With the tax law change, you know, maybe not as much. What other expenses do you have in retirement? So, you know, going from that kind of single family home to renting, you're no longer worried about property taxes. You probably improved your cash flow in general. As you mentioned, you don't have to worry about maintenance and repairs at someone else's responsibility. So we've seen with a lot of clients either downsize and still just purchase the next home, but they've cut their expenses in nearly half. You know, plus they may have freed up some additional capital, some of the extra money from the sale of the prior home that's gonna help with the retirement income. Or some just said, you know what, I've been an owner for how many years and I'm not sure in retirement that I'm gonna spend the next 10 years the same place that I have now. So, you know, renting gives them that flexibility. But many times it is a personal decision, but financially it's not necessarily a bad move. Well, Charlie, great question. Thanks so much for submitting that in. Reach out to Mike. You know, as he said, he's kind of going to you know, give you a kind of a, a framework of things to think about instead of a blanket answer. So give him a call. Talk with him more specifically, 815-526-3092. All right. Sally also has a question for you. She's in Lake Forest and says, Mike, are fees and commissions the same thing in the financial world or are they different? Yeah, Sally, it's a great question, and it's one that a lot of individuals aren't aware of. They think that when they just go sit down with you know a broker advisor, be it at the local Edward Jones office or Merrill Lynch or at their bank, that everybody's kind of the same. And it's really kind of different. If you think about it, commissions are somebody's getting paid something up front. So rather than an ongoing compensation, that individual that's going to sell you something is going to basically earn a commission on it. And that's what they call a broker then fees mean that the person's not going to get anything up front. The person's going to get a fee for the length of the time that you have that relationship with them. So it might be just an upfront fee if you do a financial planning engagement and they're going to charge you X amount of dollars to build a financial plan and then that's your only cost. Or it might be what they call an asset under management fee and that would mean that they're going to hold your hand and provide guidance you know, for the long term and then you're going to pay, you know, 1% or one and a half, whatever their business model says their fees are. And instead of paying upfront commissions, you're paying for service and value and advice over time. So the difference between the two, one is for the broker, the person on commissions, they have a suitability standard. So the suitability standard basically says that it doesn't have to be the best available thing for you. It just has to be suitable. So if you fill out this questionnaire and you check these couple boxes and it kind of makes sense for you that according to the industry, is considered suitable, 
So then basically it may not be the cheapest version. It may not even be the best of that product and the broker might know it, but basically they can legally sell you that and get a commission off that because it's suitable. Now on the advisory side, so someone that holds themselves out as an advisor is what they call a fiduciary. A fiduciary means that that person, not only they have to kind of have the due diligence, so any recommendations they make to you have to be in your best interest. So if there's fund A and fund B, they have to be able to justify why fund A or B makes more sense for you because they're getting a fee at the end of the day. They're not getting a commission or additional compensation. So it takes the conflict of interest away. Plus they need to disclose ahead of time how they're getting compensated. So that's the difference between kind of a broker and an advisor. Now, what you have to be a little careful about is, you know, depending on where you go, some people offer what they call kind of a hybrid service. And that means they can get commissions or they can get fees depending on which direction they steer you. And the key thing is you just want to make sure that you understand which side of the table that they're on. Are they on your side as an advisor or on the other side of the table as a broker? Well, there you go. Great question, Sally. Thank you so much. Hopefully that answered your question a little bit. And as always, we appreciate everybody's time here on the program as we talk about investing, finance, and retirement. I think that's going to do it for us this week here on the podcast, Retirement Matters, with Michael Stewart of Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. Again, if you need some help, reach out to Michael. He's got his MBA in finance and is a registered financial consultant. And he's available to uh, talk with about whatever might be on your mind when it comes to your retirement plans at 815-526-3092. Now, don't forget, as we mentioned before, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, You can do so through Michael's website, crystallaketax.com, whether it's on Apple or Google or whatever platform of choice. And share the podcast as well with others that you think may benefit from it. And as always, we appreciate your time. And Michael, I'll see you next time here on the podcast. Thanks uh, for hanging out with me today. You take care of yourself, Mark. Absolutely. We'll talk next time here on Retirement Matters. Investment advisory services offered through Sound Income Strategies, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. The information provided herein is for training or educational purposes only and does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any securities, investments, investment strategies, or investment advice relating to securities, nor is the information or representation that any security is a suitable or appropriate investment for any person. Before acting on any advice, you should consider the appropriateness of the advice having regard to your own objectives, financial situation and needs. Please contact us to obtain our disclosure brochure relating to the services offered by Sound Income Strategies, LLC, and consider its contents before making any decisions. Where quoted, past performance is not indicative of future performance. Sound Income Strategies, LLC does not represent or warrant that the contents of this program are suitable for you from a compliance, regulatory, legal, or any other perspective. We shall have no responsibility for your use or non-use of the program or any portion thereof. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial and Sound Income Strategies, LLC are not associated entities.